back to the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast. This week we'll be talking about Season 4, Episode 3, Isolation, written by Robert Kirkman and directed by Dan Sackheim. Uh, I am Kate Kalzik, TV editor of Sound On Sight, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Ricky D, our benevolent overlord. Hello, Kate. And this week joining us from the TV section as well as many other things at Sound On Sight and many other writings in general, Depayan Sengupta. Depayan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. They call me the T-Dog of Sound On Sight. <laughs> As we always mention at the top of the podcast, we will not be spoiling anything. Ricky has read some of the comics, a significant check of the comics. I have not read any of them, but regardless, we will not be spoiling any future episodes of the show or anything that happens in the comics that we haven't already seen on the TV show. Japayan, are you familiar with the comics? I have read the Wikipedia summary of the comics. I don't know if that counts. Okay. I, I don't know if that counts either, but I, as, as long as you're not going to spoil anyone... I will not. Excellent. So we should be just fine. We got a lot of feedback from you guys this week. We always appreciate hearing from you. We're not actually going to go into that in a big way. Um, But if you want to let us know how you feel about the podcast, hopefully positive, some negative. We got some negative feedback this week, but we also got some positive feedback. Uh, We always enjoy hearing from you guys. Any thoughts on that before we move into the episode? Yeah, I just want to quickly mention that every week I get a message from a listener, be it on Facebook, Twitter, email, what have you asking why the show hasn't appeared on iTunes. And the reason why is because you guys are awesome and you run to iTunes right away when you see my tweet and or my Tumblr message and or, and or Facebook message and you want to listen to the show right away. The thing is, it takes a while for iTunes to acknowledge that we have a new podcast ready to go. So it's not our fault. It's iTunes. But it is on the website. You can listen on the website. If you want to listen to iTunes, you're going to have to wait a few hours. Good to know. Uh, there's always a bit of a delay, but hopefully... That's something that uh, most of you won't have to have too much of an issue with. Let's talk about this episode. Of course, uh, Depayan, you, you, as you may or may not be aware, there's been some contention this season on The Walking Dead podcast. I've actually been pro The Walking Dead, and Ricky's been somewhat frustrated. How do you feel about the season as a whole so far, and what did you think of Isolation? Uh, well, the season as a whole, I've actually liked the way the season has started a lot better than I've liked the past two, uh, the past three seasons. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, I think Scott Gimple may be actually be the best showrunner for the for the show as a whole so far. And I say this with a heavy heart because I really like Glenn Mazzara, uh, you know, residual love from The Shield, and I was hoping he'd be the savior of the show. But it looks like Scott Gimple has really got a handle on what needs to be done to get this show up to the potential that it never really seemed to fulfill. Isolation as an episode, I liked it. Uh, you know, parts of it gave me flashbacks to season two on the farm, which is easily the low point of the show for me. But overall, I saw what they were trying to do, and I I did quite enjoy it, even though I didn't think it was quite as, it didn't quite hit the high points that the past two episodes hit. It was still a pretty good episode. Interesting. Uh, Ricky, what did you think? Okay, first of all, I like the first episode. Okay. Second of all, I raved about three sequences in the second episode, which takes up about 75% of the episode's running time. I had just a huge problem with the two little girls, okay? For some reason, last week, our conversation went in circles. I don't know why. It just did, okay? Um, So, yeah, but um, I've had, you know, my share of concerns for season four, I um I think it's a little too early to say it's going to be better than season three or two or one. I mean, we're only in the third episode. I do see a lot of promise. 
But I will say I'm going to be totally effing positive today because I think this episode is without a flaw. I think it's fantastic. Despite the fact that I have some real concerns slash problems with the big surprise in the end. But all in all, I thought this episode was amazing. And, you know, Kate, last week you asked me why it didn't bother me that Karen died so soon. And I gave you three reasons. One of which was because I thought it would bring out the Tyrese that I know and love from the comic book. The Tyrese that we haven't yet seen in the show. Because he's basically like this big, cuddly teddy bear. He's like the big brother to Sasha. He's like the romantic interest of Karen. He's like this really sweet guy. But bubbling deep down inside, there's this anger and, like, I don't know, like, he's kind of scary, not just because of his physical presence, but, you know, just the nuances and the touches that we got from Chad Coleman's performance, even when we didn't see the side of him, we could see that he can be a very intimidating man and he could be a dangerous man. And in this episode, we got... Tyrese. We got the Tyrese that we know and love from the comic book. And I don't necessarily want to spend a whole entire podcast comparing the television show to the comic book, but I can't escape but not uh, think back on the comic book when at times I do see some of the characters that are better developed, better fleshed out, and more interesting than the comic book. And so for me, I was just like jumping for joy because we finally got the Tyrese that I love. So that's the number one reason why I love this episode because a lot of it focused on Tyrese. I would say the bulk of the episode focused on the character of Tyrese. I think, you know, I think he had more screen time than just about anybody else, except for maybe Carol. Carol, and I would uh, say Herschel. Yeah, but he, I think he got just uh, a slight edge on them on screen time. And uh, yeah, he was fantastic. I absolutely loved his character. I loved his performance. Uh, You get to see a wide range of emotions coming from the actor. You get to see his skill and his talent. Um, So for me, there's a lot of positive things I'm going to say this week thank god because i don't like to be negative you know last year when we did season three kate you can back me up i was negative on one episode it was one episode i disliked yeah i think i was positive on one episode last season over like in a in a big way so it's been it's been fun for me to really enjoy this season in in a way that at least can, i haven't consistently really enjoyed the walking dead for quite quite a long time really maybe if ever it's always sort of been a show that i appreciate elements of it i really like elements of it but it has only very rarely come together into a whole that i appreciate and so far this season i, I would agree actually with Depayan, this was this episode wasn't quite as successful for me as the first two of the season or, or maybe i should say it didn't leave me as breathless or it didn't pack as much of a punch i didn't walk away still thinking about it in the way that I had the previous two. But I still think it was a very consistent episode. There was some good developments. And I I think for me, the highlight of this episode is not actually Tyrese as much as I agree. He had some really striking and badass moments in in this episode. But it's the return of urgency and stakes in a way that feels completely real to to this world. I don't care about bullshit with the governor. Most of that was contrived. It felt very contrived, at least to me, over the course of the season. All of my friends are dying from a cold is something I can absolutely get on board with. And, uh, and, and I thought they did a really good job of establishing just how important this dangerous track out to get the meds is. And also just how 
powerless most of them are to fight this. What a, a sort of Hail Mary pass this attempt at the cure is, or the elderberry tea, or any of that. So I really like the the way they've been going so far, at least this season, with what appears to be the swine, swine flu. And then also just the, the creepy eyes are awesome. <laughs> Zombie with yellow eyes, very cool. So that, that's what really works about this episode for me. Yeah, they've they've been able to work out, uh, you know, just how devastating the swine flu or if, or just plain flu or whatever it is, how devastating it is to it is to the prison group was conveyed very well this episode. I thought, especially Glenn's little, you know, Glenn's little bit to Herschel about how they've survived everything only to die of what's a glorified flu. That that line really hit me, and uh, you know, I'm I'm not as high on Glenn as a lot of other people are, even though I like him well enough. Uh, but, you know, that, that, the, the way uh, Stephen Yoon delivered that line and just, you know, that, that really did hit me. And the, I'd, I'd say the flu this season has been a much more effective antagonist, uh, despite being an unseen force than the governor was uh, last season. Well, and what it reminds me of is an element that I really appreciated in season one of the reboot of Battlestar Galactica which was everything came down to the basics. And this week, besides the flu, we get another very basic thing. Just like in Battlestar, they needed food. They needed water. They needed gas. And each episode would deal with a different, very basic need. This week, they need the meds, but they also need water. And so Carol has to go out and clean out that that hose so that they can have clean water to, to, to use in the prison. And that's a threat. They're getting back to basics in a way I really appreciate yeah, I think we're all going to be on the same page this week. I do agree, Kate, that, that although I think the episode doesn't have any flaws, I don't think it has any highlights like, say, in episode two with the uh, outbreak within the prison walls when Patrick goes roaming about and he wreaks havoc on the survivors. I don't think we get uh, a sequence like the sequence last week with the three little pig sacrifice. And I don't think we get a moment like we did with Michonne and the baby last week. I also don't think we get the great action set piece from the first episode of season four. But I think there's not one sequence in this episode that I dislike, whereas last week, and I know we can uh, argue about this again, but I don't want to, I just really, <laughs> I just really, really did not like the two girls, and I really do think they're terrible actresses. And the thing about this episode is, out of all the new additions, the newbies, the ones I'm interested in following around are guys like Bob or Dr. S, or even Sasha. You know, I'm not interested in those two little girls. I don't think they're going to be interesting characters. I don't think they're going to play a major part in season four. Time will tell if I'm right or wrong. That's just my opinion. But I think that it was a very smart decision on the part of the writing staff to introduce a new threat, and that threat being a virus. Because the first season, I think it's safe to say the first season was really just about getting away from the walkers. I mean, it was only six episodes. They couldn't really do much in six episodes. I think I, I still really like season one, but I think it was basically a straight up zombie show. Let's run away from these zombies. Let's try to survive while they're trying to eat us. The second season, I think, focused on internal tension between the group, uh, between Rick, Shane, and Lori, between Rick and Herschel. But it was all about internal tension in that small um, space, like the actual like farm. The third season, they tried very, very hard to add an interesting villain, and some will say they failed. I <laughs> will at say. You, <laughs> look, look at you, Kate. But I think season four, so far, they introduce a new threat, a new villain, if you want, and I think it's far more dangerous than the governor and the walkers combined. I totally agree with the pun. I think the flu virus is um, scary as hell. Uh, it's not only invisible, 
but they can't actually fight it. Just like Glenn says, they don't have the medication. And even if they did have the medication, they don't have the cure. And what's even scarier about it is how it travels so incredibly fast. It can attack several people at the exact same time. And um, I think that is why I'm really, really interested to see as to where it goes. I don't want it to be resolved too soon because that would just suck. (laughs) I really, I, I, you know, I'm hoping that the virus will kick around for at least half of the season. Right. Um, But no, but I I really do like the idea of having an additional epidemic that is is separated from the zombies. Um, With that said, um, I guess we should talk about Carol. (laughs) Probably. And uh, Melissa McBride is fantastic once again. I'm sorry. I've been raving about her all season long. I think she's amazing. I think she's the MVP of the show right now. Um, I think that the whole entire episode telegraphs easily that Carol is to blame. She is the person that committed the crime and, and murdered Carol, David, and burnt the bodies. Yet I was shocked when the episode ended because they've been building her character so much and they've been doing such a good job of building her character. And she's a character that's come a long way because she was the abused quiet housewife in season one. And, um, you know, season two, she was like the greedy mom. All she would do was cry while they're trying to look for her daughter. And now she's like kicking ass. She's taking charge. She's teaching kids how to survive and use weapons. She's running out by herself to um, fix the water supply. And all of a sudden, like I'm loving Carol, like probably more than Daryl. And they decide to make her a cold-blooded killer. And I don't know how I feel about this because the thing is, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Like, did she kill David and Karen after they maybe turned into a zombie um, and therefore she didn't really kill them in human form. And then afterwards she burned the body. Like we don't know yet. And that's what kind of scares me. Cause I don't know how I feel about them making Carol cold blooded murder because I just started loving her character so much. I think it's pretty obvious that she killed them while they were still human. There's way too much blood there for them both to have been zombies. Well, it depends on how she killed them and, uh, and in what state they were in, but they were, there was a lot of blood in those that dragging uh but i don't know i, th- I again i i would agree that we don't know yet and i think it's an interesting choice to not have us know uh, but sorry i didn't mean to interrupt divine go ahead oh no that's all right uh, i i was i was down my point i just uh, i i just i mean my theory is that she killed them while they were still human just based on how much blood there is i mean the the zombie kills on the show have been relatively bloodless uh so to speak there, there's guts and brains and stuff but there is no real liquid flow mm-hmm. by comparison looking at karen and david's uh, bodies and the trail they left behind and even carol's bloody handprint this week there seems to be way too much blood for me to think that they they had both turned at least one of them was still human i think also at the end of the episode just based on the dialogue and the exchange between her and rick although brief i think she pretty much just states that hey i killed him that was a stupid thing you did going out there like that Yes, it was. You know, you do a lot for us. For the kids. You sacrifice a lot. Is there anything you wouldn't do for the people here? No. Carol... 
Did you kill Karen and David? Yes. Well, and then I also, because we don't, we don't know. I, I would agree it seems likely that she killed them. But the the bigger thing for me is we don't know how sick they were when she killed them. So maybe she killed them because they were coughing and she was worried about it. And she's, she'd made the hard choice to, even though they might get better, because they didn't have it confirmed yet how quick it moved. Um, even though it might get better, she's still going to kill them because she needs to cut out the infection, et cetera, et cetera. Or if they were like falling over, looked like crap, and were clearly going to die. That's there's a distinction there that I find interesting, and I hope we find out. I hope we get an answer to that um, because that seems like, at least to me, that seems like that is a distinction. Is that a distinction for you guys? Yes, yes, mm -hmm. I, I do. I do think it's a. Uh, I, I, I mean, yeah, clearly there's going to be a huge difference between her killing someone that potentially has a chance to survive if they can find some kind of solution has to pose to her killing someone who's just about to turn into a zombie totally but i think see the thing is i don't know because i mean first of all her performance is amazing i don't want to lose the actress nor the character at this point in the game because she's like i said the all-star right but the thing is is there's two things that i'm kind of disappointed with potentially i'm not sure because i don't know what they're going to do in the next few episodes but uh it totally eliminates an interesting whodunit plot element to what could have stretched out for at least three or four episodes because we rarely have a mystery in The Walking Dead. And I like the idea of incorporating the mystery every once in a while. Okay. So right away, we know who killed um, Carol and, um, sorry, Karen and David. And by the way, I still don't know who David is. But, anyways, <laughs> I don't think any of us know who David is. David, okay. <laughs> I, I doubt David actually appeared on screen at any point. What I find hilarious, as a side note, is that we all know David's name. We have no idea what he looked like. And last week, we couldn't necessarily remember Karen's name. So I think it's very interesting that we know their names better after they're dead and not on screen than yeah. when they were actually active members of the cast. Yeah, yeah. But, okay. but that said, I like the great areas of morality. I think that is what makes the show interesting. And I think it's the most interesting aspects to explore within the series of The Walking Dead. But the thing is... Is I'm trying to. I wrote this in my review. I'm trying to reflect back on season one, two, and three, and I'm thinking about Carol and her character. And I understand like how they developed Carol and built her character and expanded her character arc all of this season with the two little girls and how you know she's uh, the person who lost the daughter in back in season two, and now she has these two young girls who she's taking care of, and so you know she's just trying to protect these young girls, and that's possibly why she will take the law into her own hands and kill Karen and David. But the thing is, I'm trying to think back on previous, on previous seasons and episodes, and I don't ever remember Carol being the type of person who would believe in one man or one woman assigning themselves judge, jury, and executioner. And I don't ever remember Carol taking the easy way out without looking for an alternative solution. I mean, she's part of the council. I mean, she didn't even try to sit down with... Uh, who's in the council? Herschel, Glenn, I think, Maggie, and whoever, whoever, and try to, you know, talk about what they can possibly do. So, you know, at the same time, I think it could be interesting as to what they're going to do next week and maybe the following week. But I find it hard to believe that Carol, out of all people, would totally kill these people in cold blood. I don't know how much of that we can assign to Carol acting out of character and how much you can assign to just 
poor writing on the show's uh, treatment of Carol as a whole. I feel like if in season two we'd have seen some of her reactions to Shane, uh, we'd maybe have a better handle on whether what she was doing now was out of character or in character for her. Uh, okay, but can you guys remind me where she stood way back in season two when it came to the whole Randy scenario? Was it season two? Yeah, it was season two. Remember? Yeah. They um they meet up with that kid Randy and then I think Shane wants to straight up kill him and Rick wants to at least let him have some kind of um I don't think we ever get Carol's perspective on that. She's not in that conversation as I under- as I recall. Okay. First of all, I think they you mentioned it earlier Ricky. I think they do a very good job of building to it throughout the episode of 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 showing their hand if you're looking at all that that she clearly was the one to do it so that at the end of the episode it doesn't come out of nowhere it it maybe still is a bit of a surprise that it's carol but at least it's not like a just out of nowhere twist it's if you've been paying attention they were laying the groundwork throughout the episode based on her reactions totally totally telegraphed but it could have been a red herring well, yes. And, and here's where I'm actually going to disagree with you. I am so glad, so glad that they confirmed that for us. At least, you know, that that was for the audience and Rick. Rick knows, but uh, and we know, but nobody else does. So there could still be mystery elements. We just are in on the answer. But rather than watching several weeks of the, the show kind of playing with, ooh, did they do it? No, they didn't. Did they? Do, you know, I, I'm so, I so prefer us knowing and instead of spending our time on on the show kind of teasing us with red herrings instead spending our time i'm assuming watching the fallout for her if not everybody else and then the other thing i want to mention with this is i I don't know yet if it's in her character or if it's out of character and i don't know yet if this was an out of character choice that it was in character for her to make you know what i mean um but i do think it's We've been seeing her get increasingly hardened and and be just just be toughened in in what she's willing to what she can stomach. And that, that, of course, this makes me think back to her practicing C-sections on zombies Mm -hmm. to be able to to help with uh, the birth of Little Ass Kicker. Uh, So she's really just what she can stomach just physically and uh, psychologically has has really changed and evolved over the years. So I don't know yet, but I'm willing to give it to them for now and see how they go from here. Well, I totally agree. I think it's too early to tell if it's a wise decision or not because we don't know what they're going to do in the next episode or even the episode after. And I'm not saying that I want to see like a Hardy Boys mystery where you have like Detective <laughs> Pinto going around with a magnifying glass trying to solve the murder case. But I'm just saying, like, last week they introduced two mysteries, right? One of which is who's feeding the zombies rats, and the second is who killed Karen and David. And they chose to quickly solve the murder case as opposed to who's feeding the zombies rats. And I was just like, okay, I could have gone an extra week without knowing who the murderer is. Not, you know, just kind of like um, not necessarily falling around the characters trying to piece together the, the puzzle, but just us trying to, like, you know, speculate. Like, I could have used a week of us on the podcast speculating about who we think the killer could have been. I thought that would have been fun. But okay. anyhow, not a big deal. The other thing I do want to mention with this is I have a feel because we mentioned we don't know if what's going to happen with the character now that this has been revealed. I don't think anything's going to happen right away. I just wanted to throw that out there. I think they're going to 
and especially Rick, we've been seeing him become increasingly happy to just not say things, to just not butt in. Uh, yeah, as, as as passive as he is, he's the pass. The more passive, the happier he's become this season. Yeah, so I I would be very surprised if if we don't just sort of live in a land of gray with Carol for for quite a, quite a while with with uh, Tyrese and the other people not necessarily finding out that she did it right away, and with uh, Rick not judging her for having done it. The thing is, what good can come out of him telling Tyrese? Because in his head, he's probably thinking that they would have died anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he's trying to justify it. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out if Rick can actually hold one more secret because he's already not telling anybody, or he's actually pretending he doesn't know that she is teaching the kids how to use weapons, right? And this is an additional secret, so it could go one of two ways. It could be he remains passive. And or this gives him a reason to become the leader again, because in this episode, there is, by the way, this episode's beautifully directed because there's a lot of show don't tell moments. And there's one moment in which he looks over and he sees his um, his rifle and um, help me out here. The thing that holds the rifle, the, um, you know, where you put the, the holster. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to scabbard. Scabbard's not right. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know. uh, That kind of left me to think that maybe possibly he's going to rise up and become leader again. Oh, God, I hope not. I just, I don't need another back and forth. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the problems with the early season, Rick, was that he ended up becoming the de facto leader uh, without seemingly earning it. He walked, like, I mean, the first season he walked into the camp and he just started barking around orders about going back to get Merle and everyone just sort of accepted him as the leader without even, even questioning it. Uh, you know, if, if he sort of earns that mantle this time around, then I'd be okay with it. But, but otherwise I'm fine with the way the current order of things are. Well, I think for about two seasons now, at least myself and possibly you, Kate, I know our former co-host Simon Howell, we've all agreed that the character of Rick Grimes has been one of the most, one of the least interesting characters in the show, which is kind of somewhat of a problem, kind of shitty because he is the main character, right? And um, and I said this last week, like I do think Andrew Lincoln's a good actor, and I do think there's moments where he does shine. For example, last week's Piglet scene, but I'm okay with him not being in the spotlight. I prefer Michonne, Darrow, hell, even Bob, um, and and uh, Tyrese and Carol. I prefer spending time with those characters as opposed to uh, Rick Grimes. In fact, I was sort of secretly hoping that we would get, and we might actually still get this, but I wanted a whole episode with Michonne, Bob, Tyrese, and Daryl on the road, away from the prison. Totally. Uh, I'd like to also point out that that we got uh, a group consisting of three black people out on a mission getting caught by zombies, and not a single one of them died. It was that is awesome. a big step forward. Uh, yes, we <laughs> we talked about this last week. Yeah, racial equality. Um, <laughs> I hate to say this, but it's so true, man. Like the the black cast is actually given dialogue this year, <laughs> like more than one sentence and or more than one word. But I do think we need more of Lawrence uh, Gilliard Jr. I really do like his character, Bob. I think he's interesting. I like the fact that he used to be in the military and he's a medic. Um, and I, I don't know. I like the dynamic between Michonne and Daryl, especially. And I, again, I love Tyrese in this episode. Yeah, I, one of the things I think they do really well this episode, and that I, I would say they've done really well so far this season, is because, of course, I, I like the little girls, and we don't need to 
and we don't need to rehash our discussion from last week, but I think they've done a really good job actually of, for the most part, building the cast and expanding it out because I care about Sasha. I care about Bob. I I'm interested in many of these newer characters and we're only three episodes into this new season. We're only three episodes into Bob being on the show. We've only seen him in two of those three episodes, but the way that they are divvying up the groups, who's getting sick, who's not, who's going out on missions and stuff, I think has been very intelligent. So they put Daryl there, who's one, our regular and one of the, the most popular characters on the show. They put Michonne, who they've rehabbed rather successfully so far this season. And then they put put Tyrese, who feels like he's a new character in this episode, and a new guy. So that just seems like a really smart balance and a really smart way to build up a character like Bob by putting him in that group. Hey, Michonne in the first episode smiled. In the second episode, she cried. In the third episode, she cracked a joke. I know it's it's so it's it's just so <laughs> wonderful. The, I feel like the only emotion we really got from her last season, aside from a couple of really nice moments actually with Lauren Holden, w- was that scene with the cat. <laughs> which, which, by the way, that episode was written by the current showrunner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, the episode clear was, uh, I think, the second best episode of the series so far. I still think the pilot has slight edge over it. Well, and that's why I would not be surprised to see an episode focusing solely on this group going out because two of the the most memorable episodes by Scott Gimple uh, were episodes following that format. Mm-hmm. Well, and also the name, the title of the episode is Isolation. And it's not just because the young and old are kept under strict quarantine while the rest, while the rest of the people who are infected with the virus are put into like, what is it, cell block C or D? But it's also because the two best performances we get from characters who are not confined within the prison walls but instead isolating themselves emotionally from the rest of the group and that is what i like about the walking dead when they find smart interesting ways to to express the themes and the ideas of the episode without the use of necessarily bad dialogue because that's one of the problems we've focused on in the past is the writing of the dialogue and i feel like in this season they say a lot more without words. And we talked about this last week with the, um, what sequences, what sequence was it last week we raved about? It was, um, the, the baby sequence didn't have really any dialogue with Michonne. Mm. The piglet sequence didn't have any dialogue. There, there, I was going through looking for clips, and the, the ones that I enjoyed the most didn't have any dialogue last week. <laughs> yeah, totally. I still think that it has to be the girls feeding the zombies rats. It only makes sense because there's like a name tag on the zombie. Like his name is Nick. I think the girls gave him the name tag. They're always hanging around the fence. I know it's kind of like a stupid reason for the girls to feed the zombies, but Hey, those girls are stupid. (laughs) Well, my only issue with that is if that is the case, they should have shown us their faces and not played it as a mystery because it, it, it seems so logical but then when they when they specifically don't show us the faces with that opening shot of last week's episode, it it tells the audience that this is supposed to be a mystery and a suspense. And uh, then that tells me I should expect a payoff. And if there isn't one, that's disappointing. I did actually, going back to the, the script talk, I did want to mention, uh, we haven't talked about Herschel yet. And while we do often slag off the writers a little bit uh, about their dialogue, I really, really appreciated his speech um, about about choosing when and how to live, as well as the the whole back and forth between Maggie and Beth. 
Well, it wasn't about choosing how to live. It was about choosing what you're going to risk your life for. And actually, if you look at my review, Kate, I ended by saying the highlight of the episode is Herschel's speech. I thought it was fantastic. I loved the delivery, the performance from Scott Wilson. I, uh, I do think it's by far the highlight of the episode, despite the fact that it's basically an old man shouting at his daughter. Well, yeah, no, I'm I'm in agreement too. It's, it's Scott Wilson really sells that scene. That uh, you know, as good as the writing was, that seems like the kind of scene that could have gone wrong very quickly. But Wilson keeps it on an even keel and really makes us feel sympathetic for Herschel. And as much as I like that scene, uh, as much as I like the speech, I also like Beth's reaction to it. And you know, I, I liked I liked Beth. Uh, I I liked the uh, the progression the character of Beth has made this uh, this season. And especially in this episode, we see the cracks around her, uh, you know, around the tough persona that she's put up. Uh, you know, it, it clearly just, uh, it's clearly just, how do I put this? It's clearly just a shield that she's got up for the world and that she's actually feeling, uh, she's actually feeling pain and sadness and, and uh, hurt, but she knows enough to hide it, which uh, I think is a nice contrast with, uh, with Carol's attitude as well. Who cares? <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I do see the writers building her character, giving her character screen time, giving her moments. But she's still the babysitter or the girl that sings. I don't know. I just I, I don't I don't care if she's alive or dead. She's there. She's in the background. She's taking care of the baby. At least she's doing something useful. Um, so, yeah, I'm not a fan of her character at all. Um, I would Again, much rather spend time with Tyrese or Bob or even Dr. S. We got to see more of Dr. S. They, they better not kill off Dr. S. The, uh, I, I find it very interesting and entertaining, Ricky, that the character that you seem to most enjoy, the characters that have the descriptor badass somewhere on them. So like, you didn't like Carol and then as much in the earlier seasons, and now she's toughened up and she's more badass more taciturn and violent and now you like her <laughs> i think i think i'm a feminist at heart because the thing is i didn't like carol in season two because she spent most of because she spent most of her screen time crying and my if you go and listen back to our podcast i was frustrated because i was like if i was the mom of the girl i would be out looking for the girl instead of in the barnyard crying and letting my friends good looking um I didn't like Andrea at one point because she was just frustrating because she kept on making these odd choices like shooting Shane in the head or what have you. Um, but I don't know. Like, I think I just like I want to see her do more than just stay inside and take care of a baby. I mean, hell, you know what? Everybody's sad and hurting. It's a zombie apocalypse. Um, but uh, is there any character on the show, and this may not be about you, this may be about the show's ability to write for characters who aren't, you know, are, are fighters. Is there any character on the show who could not have the descriptor badass be legitimately one of their character traits who you do very much enjoy? Right now, present in the cast? Yeah, or previously in the show's run. Well, I don't think Bob is a badass. I don't think Dr. S is a badass. Uh, previously in the show's run. Uh, well, Bob does confidently mow down those zombies this week, uh, you know, right alongside Daryl and Michonne. Yeah, I guess. Uh, what's his face? Milton from um, okay. Okay. Loved, loved Milton. Um, I'm sure there's a few characters 
Yeah, those are good examples. Uh, but I do, I would say that I think that's been a weakness of the show in general. And we saw it at the farm for forever, not knowing what to do with people if they weren't badassly, if they weren't mowing down zombies. Well, yeah, but the thing is, you see, and we talked about this last week. And I, I don't want to rehash the whole conversation last week, but I'll just quickly sum it up. Look, she's been around for three seasons. And in three seasons, have we seen her do much apart from babysitting and singing? She's a teenager. I think, uh, you know, pre-season four, the best, best storyline we've seen was um, when Herschel's leg got amputated and her and Maggie had the conflict about whether or not to uh, to fix Herschel's, uh, whether or not to fix the leg in Herschel's pants or to just, whether he was going to survive or not. I think we've seen glimpses of her. Not necessarily that the writers have been able to flesh her out, but I think we've seen enough of her that she feels like a fully realized character to me and not just someone who, uh, you know, someone who just drops in every so often to sing or babysit. Yeah, I I like her. I I think she, I feel like she's an actual character. But again, that's that's me. Oh, oh, I think she's an actual character. I just don't think she's interesting. There, okay. There's a that's a whole different story. That's true. And and I mean, two weeks ago when we recorded the first podcast, of which I was very positive about, by the way, Simon was a negative one. Um, no, because you know you know the you know the painting where it says smooth seas do not make good sailors. Mm-hmm. I was thinking like smooth seas do not make good podcasters. It's got to be rough sometimes, people. It's got to be rough. <laughs> but um, no, my concern on the first episode was I don't like it when they introduce a new character and within the very same episode, they kill off the character. That well, it, I think they introduced Zach for the sole purpose of that joke about uh, Daryl being an undercover de- uh, detective. Yeah, I mean, look, it depends. I mean, if you think back on season three when the governor went out in the middle of nowhere because he saw a helicopter crash in in um, in, in the distance and he ran into a bunch of dudes from the military and he just massacred the whole entire gang, like that's different because it's not like we spend time with those characters. It's just basically to show how evil the governor is and how he's getting his resources like guns and weapons and what have you. That's an t- entirely different story. In this episode... You know, we don't get much of Dr. S or Bob or what have you, but at least they are there and they will be coming back next week. And hopefully we'll see more of these characters. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I, I feel like the decision to kill Zach off in the first episode was a very deliberate one because Kyle Gallner is a, you know, is a relatively recognizable face. He's been on some shows. He's had, um, you know, he's had uh, major guest turns on recognizable shows. So the idea to kill him off was to uh, reinstate the idea that nobody's really safe on The Walking Dead. You know what, though? Um, We got a piece of feedback from a listener, which I really appreciate. But he said that I don't really look – I don't really look at views or read reviews and or talk to people outside my media circle, which is not true. I mean, that is why we bring in a guest each and every single week. So we have an outside opinion about The Walking Dead. In this case, this week, it's The Pine who works for Sound Sight. But normally we get someone that is an outsider. But anyways, I went and I read um, the review on Hit Fix by Sepinwall. Mm-hmm. Right? That's his name, right? Sepinwall? Yes. <laughs> okay. And he actually stated in his review that he too felt that because there was such a time jump between seasons, it was harder for the writers to get us to know who these characters were. And he actually had a problem with the first two. I think he had a problem with the first two episodes because I only read the review in the third episode. And he was like, this is his favorite episode so far of season three and the only episode that he's fully satisfied with. And he had the same problem as I did where we don't really know who these characters are yet. 
because of the time jump, right? Like we saw these characters for a quick glimpse at the end of season three when Rick decides to bring them to the prison, right? Because most of these characters we didn't get to see and or hear speak back in season three. We just saw them in the background as extras. Yeah, I think Karen would be the only one who actually got a speaking role out of the Woodbury group that eventually made it to the prison. Hey, she got a son, didn't she? She her, Wasn't well, her kid the one with the asthma? Was was that it? I, I I totally blanked on that. So so I guess that kills my theory that Tyler Posey would show up as her son. <laughs> <laughs> I I think we're getting a little uh, detour though from the this episode in, in particular, and I I guess I think that means it's probably time to move to final thoughts. I I do want to mention I really like the sound design in this episode, particular particularly in that scene that you already mentioned, Depayan of of uh, Glenn. Start, starting to space out and uh, and freak out because he's starting to get sick. I thought there there were some nice moments like that throughout the episode. I was better with the music this week than last week, and um, I, we do I do feel like I need to just again mention how badass that that fight scene with with Tyrese is. I I never had any doubt that he was going to emerge victorious because as we've discussed before on, on the Walking Dead podcast, whenever the, there's a zombie threat that you can see coming, they never die. They only die by surprise zombie. Um stealth, you know, sneak attack zombie. And so ninja zombies. Ninja zombie, but uh but I still thought that that was still very effective and um and so I I did want to give that an appropriate shout out. And I like that they don't go back to save him either. Cause that's not where they're at anymore as a group. So all in all, I like this episode. I'm still very excited about where, what this season may be bringing us and seems to be bringing us and the priorities uh, on display. And uh, it feels very odd to be this, for me to be this positive on the walking dead, but I'm just going to go with it. Uh, regarding the fight sequence. Now, Robert Kirkman wrote the episode. Whenever Robert Kirkman writes an episode, you know it's because they're going to take a specific scene from a comic book that's kind of like very memorable. It's like one of the iconic moments of the Walking Dead comic series, and they're going to translate it to the screen almost frame by frame. That fight sequence actually happens in a comic book, but I got to say, it's way better in the TV show, like way better. Um, yeah, I like the execution of the fight sequence way better in the television show. I also just want to mention the broadcast. Because when Michonne and Daryl drive off, at one point they stop and they hear a broadcast playing over the radio, right? Mm -hmm. And I had to research this. And apparently the broadcast, the voice that we hear speak, I don't know if you guys were able to make out what he, the voice was saying, but the voice actually says, those who arrive survive. And so anyone familiar with a comic book will know what that means because I think they're basically hinting at the fact that they're going to very quickly, very soon, shift to a new location, a location within the comic book. Um, so that is interesting. And can I just talk about my theory for the spinoff show? Because I didn't have time to mention it last week. Go for sure. it. Okay. So I was thinking about this. And quite often, we say things in the podcast that do come true, right? Speculation, theories, thoughts, our opinions, what we would write or change, whatever. And I was thinking about this, and I remember last year when we reviewed the episode Clear, you know, the fantastic episode of season three, written by Scott and Gimbal, and I was like, wouldn't it be um, amazing, I said this on the podcast, I'm like, wouldn't it be amazing if uh, we had 
a spin-off show in which we just followed around the character Morgan because he's such an interesting character. I love his character. And because that episode was so amazing, I was like, I can follow his character around and get away from Rick and the gang for like a good week or so or a whole entire season. And so I think that there's a slight possibility that the spin-off show can follow around his character because I'm pretty sure they're still going to want in some way connect the two shows. I don't know if that's a possibility. That's going to depend entirely on whether Low Winter Sun gets canceled or not. I think it's going to get canceled. Come oh, on. Oh, come on, guys. It's like the best new show ever, right? It's the successor to Breaking Bad. <laughs> to be it's fair. Just, it's just like Breaking Bad in that the lead protagonist is bald. Hey, I haven't seen the show, so I don't know. But I hear, I hear bad things, and I hear the ratings suck. So I don't know... Yeah, I've yeah. seen too much of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, it, Mark Strong and Lenny James growl at each other. There, now you've seen the show. Yeah, I've seen two or three episodes, and that was enough. There's also a possibility that the broadcast can hint at the spinoff series. Like, That's maybe true. that broadcast is coming from characters that we will see in a spinoff series. I don't know. But um, basically, it seems like it's hinting at a safe zone because of what the voice says. Those who arrive, survive. We'll see. Any uh, final thoughts on the episode, Ricky? Mm, no. <laughs> Dupayan, how about you? Uh, well, uh, I, I'd like to sort of address very quickly some of the points brought up in earlier podcasts that I've been saving until now. Uh, if you could go back to just very quickly Bob's alcoholism. And I, I remember, Kate, you mentioned that no one would really care about whether he's an alcoholic or not in the post-apocalyptic society. I think I that think... was Ricky? No, that was Simon. That was Simon, okay. That was Simon, okay. Well, I got it completely wrong then. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but I think that, that would be an important point because I don't think they would trust him as much to go out on runs with them if there's a chance that he's an alcoholic because they wouldn't know if he's drunk or not. And would you trust someone to have your back who was somewhat inebriated? Where would you uh, even get the alcohol? <laughs> Like at this point, I mean, oh, you, would come have, on. you would have to travel 50 miles to actually get a bottle of wine. How could you even be an alcoholic? How can you possibly say that after the, this premiere where there were just shelves of all, oh, yeah. all of the booze? But, but the guy's not yeah. going to be able to come back to the prison and somehow smuggle in like 100 bottles of wine. It's a good it's a good point. You'd have to you wouldn't know if you could trust him necessarily on runs like on the way back or something. But, yeah, I, I do think it's a good point to pie in. Uh, but I also agree that it would be kind of hard to hide that in, in their current setup. But yeah, it, it would. But I mean, it, it it's still something, you know. I I mean, I I just uh, and I just don't think it's quite a moot point as much as uh, it it might appear at first glance. Okay. Anything else? Um, no. I mean, uh, overall, I really like the direction that this season is going in. Uh, you know, I, I hope Gimple can keep it up. Uh, I like the idea of uh, – I'm with you on the that I like Carol being revealed as the killer right at this episode because I'd, I'm more interested in seeing the aftermath of Rick knowing that Carol's capable of this kind of action than I am in seeing Rick investigating it. Uh, and, yeah, I hope hopefully they can – if they can keep it up, then I think this could be – this has the potential to be the best season of The Walking Dead. I still do not understand why they don't change their clothes. I mean, I mean, seriously, they come back with all sorts of supplies. Why would you want to wear the same underwear and shirt and pants every single day? And it's not like they're doing laundry. They're not doing laundry. They would be so gross. <laughs> they yeah, came but, back to but, the last week. 
these these are nitpicks though. I mean, I I, I hear the same complaints about uh, the TV show Revolution that their clothes are way too clean for for a society that's had no electricity for twenty years. And like, these the, these are these are nitpicks. These are minor points. There, there's an understanding that it's a TV show and there's you know production and there's budget limitations and things like that. I don't know about that. I mean, like I remember back in season one, we we saw the women doing laundry in the river okay fine but i'm just saying they can actually change their clothes i mean it's not a stretch to to think that oh my god someone some somehow somewhere they decided to get new clothes i'm just saying it's just one of those things that stands out every single week it's really rick grimes like his character every single week i look at him i'm like man the guy's still wearing the same clothes (laughs) and it really sticks out because that is the clothes he wore when he took off the sheriff uniform and so you remember him taking off the sheriff uniform i'm like come on guys and also like last week you know, Michonne brings back Carl comic books and she brings back Rick, an electric razor, and she brings back so-and-so, like an MP3 player, but nobody decides to, I don't know, stop and get a shirt. Nobody grabs oh, a clean console. Oh, come on. come on. They could get a pick-a-mix. Um, and, you know, I, I would say my season two, uh, for, like, noticing and slight annoyance at the fact that at the farm they were eating, like, store-bought bread. At this point, they're eating white bread that had clearly been, like, bought from a grocery store as opposed to bread they had baked. That is a nitpick. That is a nitpick. Them never changing their clothes when they look disgusting every single week. You'd think they would. They have showers now. You wouldn't want to put those grody-ass clothes back on after you got all clean in a shower. Come on. It's a post-apocalyptic society where they They have to kill zombies regularly. No. No, if Michonne can can pick up a a bit of art for her room, she can pick up a T-shirt. Seriously, they really, honestly, it's not even a nitpick. They need to have new clothes. It's not a nitpick because it stands out every single episode. It's annoying. You, 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 know, you know, this is going to lead eventually to an episode of like 45 minutes of them washing clothes in a riverside. This is, this is going to be the Jack's tattoos of The Walking Dead. I, I'm hearing that, uh, was it... Baby, you love me, baby. Maybe it's true. I'm hearing that song to a montage of them trying on clothes with like zombies outside the windows. That's what I want to see. Apparently, yeah. Well, though we always say we want more humor injected into the show, so why not? I could go for an '80s style montage. Yeah, but I mean, there's a line between humor and laundry day. Still, look, I don't care if it's zombie apocalypse. They're humans. That no, but no human wants to wear the same dirty clothes each and every single day. I would rather walk around naked. If I'm going to take a shower and I'm totally clean, I'm not going to put on my dirty laundry. I'm just going to like walk around naked. I'm sorry. I'm going to get some leaves and make my own like Adam and Eve outfits. Like seriously, <laughs> I'm not going to put on clothes that have zombie blood and guts and God knows what else. Like, oh, I don't want to think about it. This show needs a dog still. That's my last and final comment. It needs a dog. You say that after you saw what happened to the piglets last week? They're not gonna sac they're not gonna sacrifice a dog. Come on, they're not they're not that evil. Yeah, but a dog's gonna bark and draw zombies to their location. And uh, on the cheery thought of, of dog sacrifice, I think it's time to wind up the podcast for this week. Next week we'll be back talking about indifference, which will be written by Matt Negrete and directed by Trisha Brock. And uh, we'll be back with another fine guest, surprise guest. Uh, and uh, I guess our final thing, of course, Depine, where can our listeners find you online? 
Uh, you can find me writing for Sound on Site. Uh, I currently cover Supernatural and the Vampire Diaries, as well as, as of last week, Awkward. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr under the handle Dean Epe. And Ricky? You can find my work over at soundonsite.org, which includes my list of 100 greatest horror films, of which I guarantee there might be at least 40 you've never heard of. So check it out. But soundonsite.org, I'm on Twitter at Sound on Site. And that's about it. And, of course, I'm at the Televerse, and you can hear me uh, talking with Simon Howell. You can hear us talking about TV every Tuesday at Sound on Sight on the Televerse podcast. And, of course, follow uh, follow me on Twitter at the Televerse to let me know wh- which character you want to see a fashion montage from, because I would love to hear fr- fr- from all of you about that. But with that, we are going to wrap up the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sound on Sight Walking Dead podcast. Why aren't you in quarantine? I'm no good to anyone in there. Daddy, please. Maggie, dear, there are people in there suffering. I can bring their fever down and keep them stable. Daryl's getting the antibiotics. Some of these people won't last 12 hours. I can't let you do this. Maggie, Glenn's in there. What's going on? Elderberries. My wife used to make tea with them. They're a natural flu remedy. Caleb's too sick to help, I can. There's so many times we haven't been able to do anything to change what was happening, what was happening to us. We wished we could, but we couldn't. This time, I can. I know I can. So I have to. Ursula, if you go in there, you're going to get sick. We don't know that. What we do know is that these people's symptoms need to be controlled. Herschel, please, we can wait. Listen, damn it. You step outside, you risk your life. You take a drink of water, you risk your life. And nowadays you breathe and you risk your life. Every moment now, you don't have a choice. The only thing you can choose is what you're risking it for. Now, I can make these people feel better. And hang on a little bit longer. I can save lives. That's reason enough to risk mine. And you know that.